0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com We are learning Le'ilu Nishmat Rafa'el ben Yaakov and also Le'ilu Nishmat Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yecheskel ben Abraham. And I also have to say that last, no, two weeks ago, we put in a little, um, uh, uh, I don't know, Commercial, I guess you could call it inside our classes and inviting, you know, for everybody, anybody wants to join to the um, to the live Zoom classes are welcome to join by emailing me at Rabbi Zitron at Torah dot com. And I got to say, I got quite a nice amount of uh, responses for that. Uh, and I do want to point out that, again, anybody who wants to join, please email me at RabbiZitron at com. We could, uh, you know, assist you on setting you up and how to join and get all the information for the live classes. The benefit, I've, but last time I didn't mention the benefit. What's the benefit of joining the live classes? Is, like we just had, we have a pre-class and a post-class usually (laughs) before I start recording and after I uh, after I stop recording where there's also sometimes discussion so we could uh, there's more stuff that doesn't get on the camera so whoever is uh, wants to join is uh, welcome to uh, join us there's another thing that I was thinking today um, that I'm going to do it right now (laughs) yes I'm I'm going to do it right now thank you I completely forgot about that Um, there is uh, another thing that I was thinking today, did you get it, up here? You're good? Okay, thanks. So there's another thing that um, while I was, um, you know, like preparing the camera and like all the stuff for this class, you know, I was thinking about like how much, how much gratitude we have to have to HaKadosh Bahu for giving us the opportunity to do this. You, you imagine if coronavirus just hit 10 years ago, this would have not been possible. This was not, the, the technology was not there. Look how God prepares the, the fuah before the Makkah. God gave us a problem, but gave us the opportunity to work around that. It. It's not only for Torah classes. You look at how businesses are run now. You have all these connections that you have through either Zoom, through Teams, uh, you know, through um, uh, WebEx. There's all these different companies out there that will allow you to interact through video conference, having meetings. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, this thing didn't exist. It's so unbelievable on how God orchestrates it. Even look at you know the fact that Torah anytime is around over here. Like twenty years ago we didn't have Torah Anytime. We have so much, you know, like that that God sort of sets up the scenario to help us in, in the situations that we need to and the 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 Gratitude that we have to have is one thing, but the other aspect is that it also doesn't give us the opportunity to say, well, I couldn't. You know, you used to not be able to do things because you didn't have the ability to do it. But like, how difficult is it to go and sign on to a class? How difficult, you know, like even live or even not live, let's do it. God made it so easy for us that at one point we have the gratitude, but another point we Don't really have that much excuses, unfortunately, to give to God to say, like, why are we not learning more Torah? Why are we not growing in our spirituality, even if we're stuck at home, even if we don't have the ability, even if we have to travel up? There's so much opportunity that we have that we really have to, you know, think about it and really capitalize, you know, on it. You have the ability, like the you're driving, you're walking, you have so much opportunities to learn Torah that it's a shame that we don't Capture these opportunities. And I want to put one final p- point and then we'll start. How, you know, you have, um, there are people that like certain speakers and they listen to those speakers. But then there are so many other speakers out there that, you know, you don't really like hear, you don't really know, you don't really like, you know, there could be great speakers out there that you can really attach to, but you never just gave them the chance. So when you have time, And let's say you're all up to date on your speaker shows, whatever you want to call them, that the fact that you are up to date on all your classes, why don't you give other people a chance? Go on tour anytime. I I got to you know, something that I spoke to them before about, I have to like, you know, push this more. There are, you know, sort of put in like a little bit of a highlight. Listen to another speaker. Maybe you could attach it. Maybe you could grow from it. Maybe you could gain, uh, you know, from uh, from another um, speaker. And I I think the majority of people that started listening to my classes was because of the weird topics that we have spoken about throughout throughout the years. So it's not only about the weird topics. It's also about the basics. It's also about the things that are good, things that, that are just simple stuff, even on the Palsha, th- these things you may connect to. So that's my little, uh, you know, two cents, my little spiel with that. Let us begin to a very, very uh, important um, important topic. And the topic today is something that I get very, very often when, when you know, speaking to people about Amuna, and that is so... I know that I have emunah bitachon, and God has everything, but I also know that I have to do my effort, my hishtadlut. Now, the question is, is where do those two lines meet? So, I know God is doing everything, so I have emunah, and then I know I have to do the effort, but like, how much emunah and how much effort, like how much, where am I supposed to fall into, into play? So, when we speak about the aspect of the effort, and this is something we spoke about in last week's class, that you are required to put in your effort. The question that should come up is, is that we've spoken about, and I'll give you just one story, the second, uh, in the second class we gave on Emunah, we spoke about the story about Rabbi Shal Salanta, and Rabbi Shal Salanta was having an, uh, a conversation, and mach, but it was really a machloket, an argument, with the Rashash. and that was, what is the power of Emunah and Bittachon? Meaning that, can it, can, if you have Emunah, can you get something that let's say has not been predetermined by God for you. So the Rosh was under the opinion and said, no, you can't acquire anything that if it wasn't already predetermined that you should get that. Because whatever you were supposed to get, that's what you'll get. Rabbi Shal said, no, you can acquire something through the power of emunah and bidachon, to the power of trust. So they were arguing, they said, so how are we going to resolve this argument? As only two tzadikim could do it, please don't resolve arguments this way. They said, let's make an experiment. And the experiment was as follows. The, Rabbi Sal says, listen, I'm going to have emunah, I'm going to focus the powers of emunah, that I should receive a gold watch. If a gold watch arrives, that means that my side is correct. If a gold watch does not arrive, that means that your side is correct. So, they said that's a good deal, let's do it. Rabbi Sal goes, and he starts focusing on emunah, on the trust of acquiring a gold watch. Moments, moments later, a knock on the door, a Jew go, comes in and he says, you know, I just arrived from Koninsberg and I saw this beautiful gold watch and I said, you know who would like this gold watch? Let me buy it for, for, from Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. And he goes and he says, this is for you, my gold watch. And over here the Rashasa says, okay, I see that you're right. So we see over here something that with just the power of Emunan Bittachon, you're able to acquire things that you didn't normally would normally get. And here we see also, this is something that there was no Ishtadlut, Rabbi Shal Salanter, well no, physical there was nothing that Rabbi Shal Salanter had to go out and be like, okay, let me work let me set aside some money, and then I'll buy the gold watch no, he had a Munah and he got the gold watch so what we explained last week was, there is two types of efforts, there is the physical efforts and then there is the spiritual efforts. So the physical effort is the fact that you have to work, you have to put aside, but the spiritual efforts, having emunah, having bidachon, that also counts for some, something. So we see over here, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was able to go and was able to acquire something with putting 100% in the spiritual effort and nothing in the physical effort. But now the million dollar question is like, what about us? What about us, the simple people? How much effort, how much how much of of our work do we need to put in? So in order to answer this question, we have to answer a different question first, and you have to stay with me a little bit in this class. And with that, we'll be able to go and answer the question that we have. And the question that we have to answer first is that this is also based off the story that we just said. If you have a munah and what am I saying when you have emunah, and you have emunah, that only good things will happen to you. That's your faith, that only good will happen. Everything's for the best, but not only everything's for the best, everything is going to happen to me is going to happen great. Does that mean that only good things will happen to you, even if you're not worthy of it? Meaning, just by your faith and belief alone, does that give you the power, the opportunity, the ability to be able to go and make sure that your life is only only going to happen good things. So, there's two thoughts over here. Machlokas. There's two categories. The Chazanish goes and says like this. Says in B'Tachon, that the people who think that having B'Tachon means that only good things would happen, they're mistaken. Gotta wake up to the real life that doesn't happen like that. That's the Chazanish's uh, opinion. But yet, the Chavot Al-Vavot goes. And he says, that when a person places trust in God, that things will only be good for, for him or her, That is enough to go and make sure that only good things will happen to this person. But then, the Chavot Ha'avot adds an important condition. And that is, this is a very important caveat to this, that is a person must fulfill his obligation to God. And if he fulfills his obligation to God, and does not do any sins, then he can have a munah, or she can have a munah, that only good things will happen to them. Because says how can you go and have faith in God that only good things are going to happen to you when you're not listening to God? <laughs> when you're going and you're rebelling against God? So we see over here, there's two different thoughts. You have the Chazonesh who says that just because you believe that only good is going to happen to you doesn't mean that good is going to happen to you. As opposed to the what says, yeah, if you believe that only good is going to happen to you, yes, only good is going to happen to you. Side point, you have to like listen to everything that God says. Let's go on to, the, to, to delve a little bit more onto this of the Chavot HaVavot. The Vilna Gon also holds on the aspect that if you have Emunah and to go, no Shira sure, I didn't, I started recording, thank you. Um, I, if you go and if you have Emunah and b'tachon, that only good things will happen, then only good things will happen. And he gives a, a source from the Gemara in Brachot, page 68. Hillel is coming home from a journey. And there is a terrible, terrible scream that's coming from the city. Hillel goes and says, I am sure, I am positive. I know for a fact that that scream is not coming from my house. Why? The Gemara goes on and says, brings up a verse in Tehilim, in chapter 112, verse 7. It says, "Mishmu'a <laughs> He will not fear bad news, <laughs> because trustee, he trusts in God. Meaning that... The common interpretation of this gemara, according to many commentaries, is why is it that Hilal is walking in the road and he hears a scream and he says for sure for a fact the scream is not coming from my house. Do you want to know why? The majority of commentary is is because of the emunah b'tochon. But what was the emunah b'tochon? Hilal taught his family to have a high level of Emunah So what happens is now, is now he hears a scream. He says, it can't be that it's coming from my house. Why not? Because I taught my family a high level of Emunah So it means that if something bad is happening, it must be it's not from my house. Why? Because my house will not scream. My house will not give the shrieks because they're on a high level. They know that they know that everything that happens happens because from God and it's off the best. so they wouldn't scream. So if they're screaming it must be that it's not from my home. But says the Vilna Gaon, he says, no, I'm going to give a different interpretation. He says, you want to know why Hillel was sure that the cry that they made was not from his house? That is because the level of Emunah that Hillel have had, with such a high level that nothing bad will happen. He had not lowered himself to the level of nature. This is how Rab Shimshan Pikas goes and explains. He says he has now lowered himself to the level of nature, and therefore, to the level of nature that, that, the, the way the natural work things. He's above nature. He's uh, in a, in a level that everything is from God and only good things happen. And because of that, he was completely sure that nothing bad will happen to him. Meaning, this is a crazy chidush that you can have a munah, you could have bitachon and then nothing bad will happen to you. And Cesar of Pin is something very crazy. He's, listen to this very carefully. There's so many mis- like, terrible diseases, disasters, and hardships that come onto us that even the greatest tzaddikim could avoid by perfecting their bitachon. That's how important emunah and bitachon is. Emunah and bitachon is not just about living life smoothly, it's about having a better life. Not because of your mood, because of the things that you get from it. But this, says Rabbi Shem is not only for tzaddikim, it's not only for righteous people, even for the wicked people. The Pasuk in Tehilim, chapter 32, verse 10, it goes on and starts saying that many are the sufferings of the wicked. But how does the Pasuk end? chesed That someone who has trust in God will be surrounded by loving kindness. Says the Vilna Gaon, based on the comedy, brings off the alkut Shemonim. And he says that's even for wicked people. Wicked people can still gain from this. It brings up a source for this in the midrash. There was once a very wealthy man that had a lot of, uh, you know, possessions and, and and estates, and he had guards. And one time they saw the guards saw that there was this wanderer like walking around through the property, and uh, they go and they they capture him and says, you know, who are you? What are you doing over here? And he says, no, no, no you got to let me go. He says, I'm part of the household, the ruler of this area. I'm part of his household. So they decide they're not going to hurt him, they're not going to harm him, but they're going to see it to see, you know, if really he is part of the household. The next morning, the owner of the household wakes up and the guards bring him over this wanderer, this guy who was on the property. It says, listen, he says, he's part of your household. Is he really part of your household? So the wealthy guy goes over to him and he says, you know, I've never seen you before. Why are you saying that you're part of my, uh, you know, my household? Why are you saying you're part of, uh, you know, my family? And this wanderer, this poor man goes and says, Listen, you know, really, I'm not part of your household. But, please, because I relied on you, and if I didn't rely on you, they would have beaten me. So because I relied on you, please let me go. So the wealthy man, this ruler said, he says, because you relied on me, I will let you go. That's the Midrash. The Midrash shows over here something, that someone who relies on God that's the mashal. The mashal will be saved even if they deserve punishment, because God protects people that rely on Him. There's another source for this in Bava Metzia, page eighty-five A, that there was once a calf that was on the way to the slaughterhouse, and while it was on the way to the slaughterhouse, it passed by Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, and it. I don't know how you know this, but the, the calf was knew that he was on the way to be slaughtered. So he ran over to Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, sort of with pleading eyes, like, please save me. Obviously he couldn't say anything, but just, uh, you know, he wanted to be saved. So Rabbi Yehuda goes, and he sends the calf to the slaughterhouse. And he says, this is what you are created for. You are created to what? That you should be go, you live on an animal plane. Now you're going to go and be shakti, you're going to be slaughtered. Then you're going to be eaten by humans who make a bacha, uses the power for spirituality, and hence you're going to be elevated from an animal plane to a human plane. And this is the purpose that you are put in this world, to benefit the human, human population. The Gemah goes on and says, because Rabbi Hudanasi you know, sort of went in this unsympathetic manner, for thirteen years, he suffered a very, very painful ailment, and then thirteen years go by, and his maid was trying to sleep sweep away these like little rodents, and Rabbi Yehuda Nasi says, wait, "Wait, wait! You know, have mercy on God's creations." And because of that, then all of a sudden, the ailment went away. His suffering for thirteen years went away, and that's the story of the Gemara. But as Rabbi Shem Shem Pika, Pinkas says, wasn't Rabbi Yehuda Nasi correct? Like, why was he punished that he dealt in an unsympathetic manner? That is the purpose of the animal. So why is it that he was punished in such a, in such a manner? So the Sefer Abbotach goes on. I'm sorry, this was... Um, this is Rabbi, this is Rabbi uh, Yitzhak Duaqshim brings this down, not Rabbi, um, Rabbi Shem And Rabbi Yitzhak, that goes and brings down the Sefer Abotech and he says that even if he was right, that the calf was supposed to be slaughtered. However, if someone is counting on you for protection, you cannot let it down. When... Others are depending on you for assistance. You have to go and put, bestow pity on these people. And if this message holds true from between human beings, then all the more, more so between us and God. That when we count on God, God will not let us down. Meaning, all this teaches us that bitachon, Emunah bitachon, has the ability to make good things happen to people even if they're undeserving. So, so far, what we have until now, a quick recap, is we have two different approaches. The question that we started off with is, can you go and get something that you originally wasn't decreed to just through emunah mitachon? So, one opinion that we give the Chazanish says, no, you can't. The other opinion, the Chavot the Vilna Gaon says, no, you could. Just by having emunah mitachon, you can cause things, good things to happen to you, even if you're unworthy. Says Rep. is how we can answer this contradiction? It, which one is it? It's either this way or this way. It can't be both. So says Rab Shem and this is going to be the key to figuring out how much emunah and you need to have. Rab Shem Pikus says these two scenarios, these two um, opinions do not contradict each other. Rather, they're speaking about different levels. And really, both a righteous person and a wicked person can rely on God, and indeed they will be saved. B'tachon is for everybody, regardless of your level. But what's the difference? The difference of how much emunah and b'tachon you need to have. So you have a tzaddik, a righteous person, when a righteous person, he only needs or she only needs the basic level of emunah and they don't Why? Because they don't have this sack, backpack of sins that are threatening them. A wicked person, on the other hand, they need a very high level of bidachon. Why? Because they have so many sins in their back that they need to have this enormous, you know, mercy from God in order to work the miracles. And let's explain this. So let's say, for example, a, uh, the Repetition of Bikas goes and gives this example. A tzadiq goes and Relies on God to give him panasa, so that Sadiq recognizes, and he has that God has mercy on all His creations, and this is sufficient level of emunah and bitachon, that this righteous person should have panasa. But a wicked person is not deserving of regular support. A wicked person can recognize that God treats with mercy, but a wicked person is not listening to God, so he needs a higher level of emunah and and if you de- deal with a, an exceptionally wicked person, they need even a higher level of emunah and, and bitachon. So the Chavot when the Chavot goes and says that a sinner, somebody who, somebody who wants to get something, can get something, as long as they have emunah and bitachon, that only if you listen to God. If you don't listen to God, you can't put yourself in that category. Says Up Shem Pikas, what is the Chavotov what's speaking about over here? This is talking about that on a regular level, a standard level of Emunah B'Tachon. But if this sinner, who still doesn't listen, has a high level of Emunah B'Tachon, then as Chazal says, someone that has, you know, trust in God, uh, kindness will surround them, even a wicked person. Meaning, over here, that Let's try, to, let's try to understand this very clearly. You have a righteous person. A righteous person is enough for them to have a little bit of emunah because they're righteous, they don't have a lot of sins in the back. That will get them what they want. But a wicked person, they could still get what they want, but they need a tremendous amount of emunah So meaning the Chavot al-Vavot, let's explain it again, so make sure that it's very clear. The Chavot al-Vavot goes and says that if you have emunah and you get whatever you want. But, unless you don't listen to God. What is this referring to, says Repetition Pika's Standard level of Emunah. But if you go on a higher level of Emunah, then even a wicked person, who still didn't do the, all the tshuva that they needed to do, can still get what they want and what they need, based off Emunah Khan. And, and this we could say also the Chazanish. The Chazanish says, no, you can't live in the fairy tale land that just because you believe in something that is good, it automatically it's going to be good. That's talking about when you have a general level of Emunah and Bittachon. But if you put yourself on a very, very high level, even the Khazanish would say that that could go and bring you to a level that could get you anything that you want. It all depends on the level and the amount of Emunah and Bittachon that you have. You guys understand? you following me so far? Kind of. Good. Okay, good. See some nodding heads. Okay. So now, going to? let's bring some, some uh, proofs. This. So, the famous story of, of King Benashe, of Yehuda. He was notoriously an evil person. And the king of Ashur captured him. And they put him in this copper pot, and they lit a fire underneath it. Now, needless to say, you don't want to be in that situation. It's excruciating pain. To put it slowly, slowly, basically you're being cooked and roasted alive. Menashe was a wicked man. He went, a wicked king, he went and he served all the idols. So what he did was, when he was in this danger, he started calling out to all his idols, Idols, please help me. And he went from one idol to another idol, and nothing happened. Finally he goes and he says, you know what? I will call up to God. I'll call out to Hashem. And if he saves me, then good. But if not, says Menasheh, is the same as others. And the ministering angels, the Merachah goes and says, they started closing all the doors. They don't want to let the Menasheh's uh, prayers come up. He's a person that set up an avodah an idol worship in the Bet HaMikdash. So God goes and says, wait a minute. If I, I need to accept his tshuva. I need to accept his prayer. Why? Because if I don't accept his tshuva, then I'm closing the door on all the Bali Chuvah, all the people that want to do Chuvah in the future. Says, let's try to explain, let's try to understand over this. What's going on over here? Let's, that was a story, and God actually saved him. Now, Menashe claimed that if God doesn't answer him, then he must be like all oh, others. Are, are you like? How is that even like? Are you serious? Like, how is that even on the same plane? He spent his entire life not listening to God. Not only was he not listening to God, he was going against God. He was worshiping idols. He went and he persecuted and slaughtered all the righteous people. There was the the prophets. The the, the streets of Jerusalem was filled with blood from his from from the killing that he did. He put Avodah Zarah in the Beit Hamikdash. He despised the very thought of tshuva. Even when he turns to God. He's not humbled. He's like, okay, are uh, you gonna listen to me? If not, you're just the same as everybody else. Like, and that's like a, a chutzpah level. So why should God save him? Why did why is God says, no, I'm gonna close the doors on all the all about you? I'd rather I should save him. Why? Like he literally went against you, and he's not even coming to you to, to, like in a full sincere way. So Pinkis goes and it says that really Menashe is making a very important point. That if God is infinitely great and God is infinitely merciful, that means that God could do anything. And if he doesn't save me, says Menashe, then that means that I have stepped beyond the limits of God's mercy. And meaning that he doesn't save wicked people as me. So what makes him different? Makes him different that he has a limit to where his mercy is. So God goes and God agrees to Menashe's claim. He says, you're right, because there's no limit to God's mercy. The very nature of tshuva depends on the unlimited mercy. Says This story is such an illustration of the type of the Bittachon that we're dealing with right now over here. You have over here the wicked King Menashe. He recognizes that God's power of mercy is awesome and infinite. Despite all the sins, despite the level that he's on, God will still do a miracle to save him. And in fact, the Nesiva Shalom goes and says that one who does not believe that God dwells even among the wicked people is considered an apicalist, It's considered a heretic. Because the, it, there's an eternal connection between God and Klal Israel, the the level it doesn't matter how far you're fallen. People think, you know what? I can't like I just did this crazy sin. I'm gonna have a munah bitachon that everything should be fast, should, everything should be good. Someone did a crazy sin, and now he's nervous or she's nervous that they're gonna get a certain disease based on that sin. So they're gonna be like, well, I'm gonna have now a munah bitachon because of that. I just did the worst thing possible says Rav says, because tells us that it doesn't matter how far and how low you're fallen, the power of Emunah Biduchon has the power to achieve tremendous greatness. The only difference is that you have to really up the level of your Emunah Biduchon. To tell you just a little bit about the power that you have in Emunah Biduchon, the Ramban in Sefer Emunah HaBitachon goes and says the effects of Biduchon are not necessarily and inherit one's worthiness it doesn't matter on your level it's not it's not how high you are on a spiritual plane but it's the level of bitachon that you have and that's why the pesukim Telim in chapter 37 verse 3 tells us that bitach bachem Tov first it says trust in god and then do good meaning that the trust in god comes first that if you trust in god you already will have good and then it says Vasetov, then it says you should do good. Why does it say you should do good at the end of the Pasuk? It should say do good, and then trust in God, and God will follow you. Right? Imagine you have a friend. So if you want to things to go work work well, you want to ask your friend for a favor, first you be nice to your friend, and then you ask the friend for the favor. Not that you ask for the friend for the favor, and then you decide to be nice afterwards. God works a different way. God works that even you could be on a level that you're not nice to God, so to speak. But if you have the the betach ba'ashem, you have the the trust in God that would still give you what you need to have. However, the pasuk ends that you vasetov. You have to do good. Meaning that don't think that okay, I'm just going to trust in God. Everything's good's going to happen. I don't have to worry. God loves me. God loves everybody. We just that's what we spoke about the whole entire class. And you can do anything, and God is not going to worry about my sins. No, no, no. Make this very, very clear. We do not. Get one, you know, iota off of what we need to, what we deserve. If we are worthy of punishment, then, then again, we don't want it, but it's going to happen unless we do chuvah. We have to go and do tshuva. Don't think that, oh, everything's good is going to happen, I'm not going to get punished. No, in fact, the, the Gemara Bechama, page fifty page 58, says that someone who says that God is a vatan, God overlooks things, his life will be overlooked. The very, very, you know, serious wording of the Gemara over there. So, meaning that we have over here, something that's very important. A concept that we have the ability to achieve anything that we want in our life with a munah and, and it depends on our level on how much a and we need to have for that. The pasuk and telim goes, I hope you guys are still with me. We're going to get a little bit more complex and then we're going to get a little bit uh, lighter. The pasuk and telim, chapter 118, verse 8. It says, Tov, it's better to take refuge in God rather than trust in man now the Vilna Gon explains this like this there is two terminologies we just said in this pasuk. there is Lachsos um, this is uh, uh, the terminology of taking refuge and then there is Liftoach which is like Bitachon uh, it's trusting so these are two different levels says the Vilna Gon of Bitachon you have a righteous person this righteous person is called trusting he trusts God he has bitachon in God. Why? Because God promised that good things will happen to Atsadiq. Nevertheless, the good that God promised is still considered a chesed, of kindness. Meaning that God doesn't owe a righteous person good things. So, therefore, a righteous person still has to trust in God, still has to have that munah and bitachon. And if this righteous person fails to trust in God and relies on their own effort, then he doesn't receive God's kindness. However, a wicked person. Is the other terminology in this pasuk, and that is not the trust, but the, rather the taking of the refuge, the lachsot. This is the taking of the refuge, meaning that if you go and you kick a tree, and you you know hurt, whatever you hurt the tree, and then you sit under the tree for shade, the tree is not going to be like, well, you hurt me, I'm not going to give you shade. No, the tree is going to give you shade. Why? Because that's the nature of the tree. So it doesn't matter what happened. If you go in the in the in the shade of the tree, you will be sheltered from the tree. So that's sort of taking refuge in the tree. This is how it works with God. That even if you sinned, you don't have the ability to trust that everything good will happen because you didn't listen. But if you take refuge, as a different type of trust, then you will be sheltered by, uh, you know, by God. So, we see over here, time and time again, for everything that we've been discussing, just to have a, a, a quick recap over here, that everybody has the ability to get whatever they want in their life based off the level of munah and the only question is, is if you're a righteous person, then you have to have a lower level of emunah and bitachon, and that's enough. But if you're a wicked person, or if you have some sins, then you have to have a very high level of emunah and bitachon. And when you have that, you have the power is unbelievable. The G'mon Maul says that to tell you the power of what you have over here. The Gemma Malachatam page 28a goes and says that there's three things that are determined for a person even before they're born. Number one, how long you will live. Number two, the number of children. Number three, how much money you will have. Very important things for everybody, right? This, this, this by the way, men, women, and everybody. It just like captures everybody. You got the children, the length of life, and money. All these are predetermined already before you're born. But says the Maharsha on the end of Nidah, says that all these can be changed, even though it's predetermined, can be changed if a person comes to God and relies on Him for help. That's the power that you have with Hemunah and Rabbi Rabbeinu Yonah comments in Mishlei in the third chapter, that if someone's going through a troubling time, having Bitachon alone can get them out of it. The Kadakamach also says that if someone finds himself in financial trouble, if he strengthens or she strengthens and Bitachan and God, this creates a pipeline of blessing that God could go and send you this panasa. And the Khavat always goes and says even furthermore, in a time of hunger, a person with Bitachan will be sure to get what they need. Meaning that you have so much power over here. And this power has is open to everybody. So the bottom line. I hope that you guys are with me so far. The bottom line is that whether wicked, righteous, or anywhere in the middle, if you have emunah, with the power of emunah, you could go and provide you with all the blessings that you want in your life. And not only that, the Pasuk of the Ilim goes and says that, the, the Pasuk says, el Hashem, And you will go and you will be delighted in God. V'yiten mishalot and God will give you all your heart's desires. says the Briscoe Ralph. If your bitachon, if your emunah in God is so strong that you actually derive enjoyment, even before you're answered, then he will give you whatever you desire. You see, it's like a higher level of emunah, a higher level of bitachon, you get that, even a wicked person. But what is the difference over here? The difference is the amount or the level that you need to have. So with this information, I hope it's very clear. I've been repeating it because I want to make it very clear. Meaning, again, one, one final thing. I got a lot of nodding heads, so good, I'm happy. The capabilities that you have in your life to get anything that you want all depends on your emunah and bidukhan. If you're wicked you need more, if you're righteous you need less, but you can get whatever it is that you want. Now how does this answer our question? The question that we started off with is how much emunah and bidukhan, and I'm sorry, our question was how much effort we need to do. And the answer is exactly what we've been saying. It depends. It depends on the level that you are. Wherever level that you are, you are on, it depends if you have to have more emunah or more effort, less emunah or less effort, meaning that things in emunah and getting things is proportional to your level. Now, I'm just going to give a little, we're going to go a little bit off track over here to figure out what level you are on and how to go and pinpoint that that's going to be next class. But to Go on a little bit of a side point so the question that is asked is is how much effort I need to do it, it depends on you it depends on you and we will go and delve that a little bit more because at the next class but before we go into that there's something very important that I want to um, go and bring up um, and that is the general concept of how much effort in general a person's supposed to have and with that we're going to go to bring up to, to uh, another very important topic so we know that God created Adam. And God put Adam in Ganeden in the Garden of Eden. What was the purpose of Adam doing in the Garden of Eden? He was a garden. Was he a gardener over there? Did he have to go and trim the bushes? Did he have to water the plants? Did he have to go? What was his purpose in this garden? So... <clears throat> We know that Adam didn't have to water the garden, he didn't have to trim the bushes, he didn't have to pluck the weeds, he didn't have to do anything. There was a river, the Torah tells us, that went and irrigated the garden. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 39b, goes and tells us that angels roasted his meat and poured his wine. They gave him everything that he wanted. What was the work then that Adam had to do? It says over in the Pasuk that God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to do work. What was the work? The answer is, it was the spiritual work that he needed to do. He needed to do. Let's call it the spiritual. He do He had to go and study the Torah, keep the commandments. Physically, he was taken care of, but he had to spend his time in spiritual pursuits. But what happened? Adam and Chabad, they did a sin, and from the sin, now all of a sudden they were they were forced to invest in. Physical effort, physical ishtadlut. So beforehand, they only had to do the spiritual effort, the spiritual ishtadlut. Now they have to do also the physical effort. As it says in B'lashi chapter 3, verse 19, Beza'ata pechat With the sweat of the, your brow, you shall eat bread. Meaning that now you have to do ishtadlut also on the physical aspect. But now we have the question. So we know over here that God says, now by the sweat of the brow, you have to go and you have to work. But how much? How much work? Until you sweat on your brow? Like, well, how much work do you need to do? The Torah never actually prescribes any measure of how much work needs to be done. So it says Rav Moshe Chaim L'Zadah, the Ramchal, and Misidat Yisharim, in the 11th chapter, you know how much effort, how much work you need to do? As little as possible. A person's livelihood, says the Ramchal, based off the Gemara and chapter, uh page 16 it says a person's livelihood is fixed on Rosh Hashanah, and no one can take away and nor you can add whatever was already prepared for you. And if it was not, the Gemah goes and if the Gemara Yoma goes and says, if it was not for Adam's penalty, for Adam's sin, it would be possible for a person to sit back and everything will be done for them. But now that we are obligated to go and do this effort, this effort is not like a bonus; it's a tax. It's a punishment. It's, a ta- it's like sort of taxes that we have to pay to do our physical effort in order to get what we want. So says Ramkhan, When you pay taxes, the one you want to pay the least amount possible. You don't want to pay more than you need to. So when you're doing effort, and effort is a tax, so you should do the minimum amount possible. And says the Ramchal, what you should do is you should make your Torah learning, that's the majority of your day, that's the principal activity. Your work is secondary. Why would you want to do more as your taxes? Now, the question is, so what's the minimum? What is the minimum amount? So we just said that Ramchal says that you have to do the effort that you have to do is the minimum amount. What's the minimum? <laughs> like how much is the minimum? Is that by by how much you buy when you start sweating? Uh, where where is the level that you have to go? So Rabzundal of Salam. Rav Zundel of Salam was the Rebbe of Rabbi Shal Salanter, And he goes and he says, Why is it that we have to do effort besides the sin of Adam Alishan? Besides of the tax that we have to do? Another reason is that because we're not worthy of open miracles. So if we just sit back and God just gives us everything it's an open miracle, we're not worthy of it. So how much effort we need to do in our work enough that permits the outside world to make the error into thinking that our livelihood comes from our natural causes. You understand what I said? So let's repeat that one time. How much effort you need to do, the amount that permits the outside world to make the error of attributing the person's panasa to natural causes. Now, the way that God works is God works in a way that He uh, sort of um, hides miracles through nature. That even before the splitting of the sea, the the pasuk in, in Shemal chapter 14 verse 21 tells us that it was a big wind that blew. Why? To make people think that it was a natural cause that the sea split. So the way that God works is that it's, it doesn't work through miracles. God sort of hides the miracles into uh, into nature. So the amount of effort we need to put is the amount that it appears to be a natural po- process. And Rav law would say, for for his part, would be enough to buy like a lottery ticket, the minimum amount possible. And by the way, I just need to put this out there that if you're working for somebody, you know, and you need to do something, don't be like, listen, the minimum amount possible, okay, Mister Boss. Listen to this class, you're a Torah observant, you're not going to listen, I have to work the minimum amount possible, because otherwise, you know, like I'm a sinner, and you know me, I'm super righteous, so I can't do it, no, 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 when you're working, do your job, right, if it's difficult, whatever it is, you have to do it, of is maybe you need a different job, I'm, we're not going to get into that, but when you're working for somebody, you have to do what they paid you to do, but going back to this, what happens if, let's say somebody goes and does the minimum amount possible, this is very, very dangerous, Why? Because let's say a person is very enthusiastic, goes and and has a munah, you know, I'll tell you, I have a, I had a friend of mine that went and it had a high level of munah one time, this is talking about like 15 years ago, and he wrote a very large check to a tzedakah organization, he didn't have the money in the bank, and he postdated it for like two months, and he says, Hashem, I'll have that. I'll tell you, he wasn't able to cash it because it bounced. But I'm saying that the thought process was nice, that he had emunah, that he will have enough money that he will be able to go and give this amount of charity. But it didn't work out. Now, why it didn't work out, I can't tell you this person. But what's the danger of this? The danger is, is let's say you have, you're have you all of a sudden inspired. You're on this high level of emunah, you are all psyched out. You're like, you know what, God can give me anything, God can do this, God can do that. Everything that I want could happen right now. But what happens when you sort of, you sort of, am I back? What happens if you sort of forget your enthusiasm? If you forget your enthusiasm, or enthusiasm in general, fades very quickly. Just ask anybody who ever started a diet ever, or anybody who started exercising ever, right? For the first, like, week, they're like the... Top, whatever you know, whatever it is, they're, they're the best of the best. A week later, enthusiasm, you know, straight down to you know, like ah, uh, you know, uh, I'll start my diet next after the next bite, after the next bite, I'm gonna run tomorrow. Um, and make the calculations. No, really, I'm gonna eat this, 16 slices of pizza. And you know, with, topped with you know just pure fat, and then I'm going to run an extra five minutes, so it'll be fine. You know, people go. Enthusiasm tends, to, you know, change. Uh, you know, tends to to uh, fall. What happens when your enthusiasm falls? When you have this high level of mara then all of a sudden the regret starts creeping in and be like, you know what? Why did I have such a high level of umna? Maybe I needed to do ishtadud. What happens is if you have a high level of umna that you're supposed to make a certain amount of money, that you're supposed to get married by a certain time and it didn't happen, then you're going to start regretting your actions. That you didn't do enough ishtadud. Maybe you need to do more. And then you start wishing, maybe I should have never been such a righteous person. Maybe I should have never tried to go on such a high level. This attitude can cause us very, very grave consequences. And this could cause us to forfeit all our spiritual levels and efforts. So what do we need to do? We have to be real with ourselves. We have to know our degree, which is consistent with our level of emunah and bitachon. And with that, we have to figure out how much emunah, how much effort we have to do. Does that make sense? You guys are with me so far? It all depends on your level, on where you're holding. The... Rabbi Tz. Solomon goes and brings down that... You know, the the purpose is not to have faith in our efforts, but to put a lot more effort into our faith. At the end of the day, it's all comes from God. Everything that you have comes from God. Regardless of where your level of faith is and where you're holding, everything comes from from, from God. But where the problem when you're dealing with Hishadut and how much effort, this is a very, very slippery path, and very, very dangerous when somebody goes and starts what we call reading signs. They start making signs for God and understanding what God says. And you know, I'll give you an example. Let's say two people are dating and everything's going great. But let's say they come from different backgrounds. Let's say one is Ashkenaz, one is Faraday, right? Or let's say one is Gorski and one is Bukharian. Right? Just as big as the... I'm just kidding. Let's say you people from two different... And, but everything's going great. You know, they're on the right hushkafa level. They have, you know, the right thoughts. Everything is is on par. But then, the parents start finding out. I shouldn't have said the parents. I didn't mean to say the parents. Other people, right? Scratch that. Make believe I didn't say that. Other people start getting involved. And be like, wait a minute. You're dating somebody not part of our community? You're not, you're going to have different things. And they start causing problems in the, in the shidduch you know, scenario, be like, oh, why are you dating this person? This person's not a match. They're not going to be able to understand us when we speak in our language. You know, they're not going to know. What, how are we going to know what, what we're talking about? And, and they start causing friction. And you start thinking, be like, you know what? Why is God sending me these signs? Must be that this person is not for me. We are not on a level to go and start reading signs. Don't start thinking that let's say you're on a... Shidduch scenario. And there's some difficulties that arise. Don't start thinking, you know what, this must be a sign from God that we're not supposed to go and get married. No, no, no. Don't, you don't decide when, what's a sign and what's not. You speak to your rabbi. Yeah, maybe some things are like Red flags, red flags are different than signs. Maybe some things are things that you should, you know, uh, you know, break it off. But don't decide on yourself what the signs are. There's a story that we mentioned before. There was a big adult who was officiating a wedding. It was a of a wedding. And the way that it goes is that, you know, the the husband, the Chatan, the goes and takes a ring. The woman takes out her finger and, and the Chatan goes and says, And they put the ring on the finger. The Chatan goes, says the, the, you know, the words that he needed to say, and he was very nervous, he was sweating a lot, it was, you know, it was very, he was getting married to you know, somebody know was very, very nervous, and the sweat made the ring a little bit slippery, and the, wing, the ring dropped down. And can you imagine, he's about to marry this girl, and all of a sudden the ring falls off. And it's just like a scene from like, whatever, the ring keeps on rolling, you know, like rolls right back down the aisle. You know, and then, you know, he goes and he runs after it. People are running and they're like, okay, fine, fine. You know, they're back on the stage. They're back on the chuppah. And he goes like, okay, take two. Ha'vei Av, says the verse again, about to put the ring, and again it falls off. Meanwhile, especially the father of the bride, he's like, what? Look at my daughter. <laughs> what is she marrying? This little mazel, this guy can't hold a ring. What's going on over here? And people are nervous you know, the, the father was like, listen, he goes over to the rabbi, and says, maybe this is a sign from God that they're not meant to be. I'm like, two times the ring falls off. I'm like, can you get clearer than that? And the rabbi goes, he's like, he's like, absolutely not. This has nothing to do with the fact that they shouldn't be together. Of course they should be together. They're right under the chuppah. Rather, why did the ring fall down? He says, because the exact time that they were supposed to get married is right now. And he was a little bit early. So God made it, extended the, the you know, the time length. We don't know how to go and to, and to start reading signs. You look at in the parashat of Chayesara. Abraham goes and sends Eliezer to find a match for Yitzchak. And the information that Abraham gives to Eliezer is very vague. He's basically like, he goes to Eliezer and says, go to my homeland, go to Abraham's homeland and find a girl. You think a very vague scenario? I'll be like, okay, who knows how long this is gonna? This could take months until I find the girl in just a hometown without any information. Several hours later, the girl is found. That's it. Shidduch was made. Later, we go in Parshat Vayesey. You look at Parshat Vayesey. Yaakov Avinu's parents send him to Padan Aram. They go and they send him to the location and they tell him marry one of Lavan's daughters. You tell him who to marry. Deal is closed. You think a few hours? That's it. The deal is closed. But yet, seven years passed before he was able to get married. And then who did he marry after seven years of working? He was married Leah. He wanted to marry Rachel. He could have easily said, you know what, this is a sign. My parents told me to come over here and to marry. And to marry. I went and I was supposed to marry Rachel. They gave me Leah over here. And look He could have said, listen, can you be more obvious than this? I went under the chuppah. God sent me another girl. Put another girl over there. Like this is obvious. This is obvious to me that this is what God wants. He says, no, no, but he persisted. He did more Hishadlut until ultimately he went and he married Rachel. When a person tries to do something good and there's certain obstacles that come their way, don't interpret it as signs. Must be that God doesn't want me to do this. If somebody's going and trying to go, let's say, to Shachit, and they're trying to start the car, and the car doesn't start, they're like, you know what, God, I hear you. Must be that um, I'm not supposed to be praying with the Minyan today. I'll, don't worry, here hear you loud and clear. I'm going to go right back into the. Um, the bed hit the snooze button a girl wants to go shopping for clothing and there is no clothing that's modest where she's going she's like okay God I hear you loud and clear must be you want me to buy this clothing be like no don't start reading signs because you're going to make radical radical errors if somebody's going and is starting to or she's starting to increase their level of observance in Yiddishkeit in Torah in the Torah life and it becomes difficult. The parents are giving them a hard time. The friends, there's peer pressure. There's all these different things. Be like, you know what? God's giving me a hard time. It must be that God doesn't want me to be over here. God wants me to be in a different uh, you know, level, a different plane. He wants me to go back to where I was before. No, no, no. That's not correct. God gives us challenges to overcome for reasons that are beyond our scope of understanding. And this is how we go and we understand when Yaakov goes and he married Rachel. Why did he have to go through so hard? And I hope you guys understand for those people that have been following us through the classes throughout time. I say this story again and again and again because there's a lot of lessons that you need to learn from this. Why was it so hard for Yaakov to marry Rachel? Why did Rachel have to go and give off the signs? And first was "Ah," Leah, then Rachel, and she had to give the signs to her sister. She doesn't get embarrassed. And the answer is there's all a reason for it. Because Rachel was not able to, physically incapable of conceiving. She needed more merits, and the merits that she got was the, the obstacles that, that God put in her path. And that was to give the signs to Leasa, her sister wouldn't get embarrassed. Because of that, she gained the ability to go and conceive and then have a child. So when we have signs, when things come in our path, and it seems like God is sending us a sign saying, no, don't do any more you have enough you're not you're going the wrong path we don't know how to do we don't know how to read the signs meaning that we have to put our effort our hishtadlut the the, major, the most that we possibly can to our level and let's say you go and in the shidduch or in anything else you're putting in the maximum effort that you have but yet things beyond your control it still didn't work out then you could say that this is from god then you could say I did everything that I was supposed to, I did everything that I was capable of, I did everything that was in my power to do, and now it's not, I can't do any more. Okay, so this is now this is from this is from God. This is beyond our control. But to read signs, it's beyond us. Don't read signs and then say I have to do less effort because of this. I have to do more we, we don't know how to go and, and read the signs. And I gotta say, especially when you're dealing with dating and you're looking, please don't make signs. Don't go and start saying, you know what? If he opens the door for me, then it must be that this. If he's going to go and he's going to give a 20% tip, then I'll know. Don't make signs, all right? Not only are we not level to that as God, don't test your future husband, all right? The athletes are made signs. The what? To the will. That's something else. That's something else. That, first of all, when you are working... For Avraham Avinu, then you could go and you could give signs. Now, I'm not saying that they're, they're, you don't have the ability. There are many righteous people that did give signs. On our level, we don't do signs. We don't go and we don't say that, oh, the girl that will go and will feed my camels, that's the girl I'm going to marry. First of all, why do you have camels? now, right? But if you are right, a type of don't go and be like, you know what? Let me go hang out by the well. That's where all my ancestors go. Uh, you might get married. The, the girl might have a beard also. But whatever it is, like, is, don't go and put yourself on a level. So yes, there are certain levels where you do have the ability to go and put these certain signs. But on our level, we don't have the ability to go and, and uh, put signs. But one thing we do know is that no matter our effort, no matter how much where we're holding and how much we put, at the end of the day, it's all coming from, from God. There was one seishiva Shiva that was on the verge of uh, bankruptcy, and they needed to raise $100,000 in a space of six months. And the director of the Shiva, the rabbi of the Shiva, was only able to raise forty grand, And there was five weeks left, the remaining of the six-month term, and he didn't have the, the funds. He, was, he called everybody. He had one other wealthy supporter that he wanted to go, and uh, you know, try to try to ask for a donation. So he made an appointment to meet with this person at the you know at this person's uh, um, office. And he's driving to the office, and as he's driving to the office, he needs to use the, the restroom. So he looks for a place to pull over. He pulls off at an exit, and he stops by, he's trying to look for something to go, and he, he notices there is a Jewish cemetery, the Benetzion cemetery. And he says, you know what, let me go in there to use the restroom. He goes into this, like, weird out of the Hicksville, like, you know, the cemetery, and as he walks in, he realizes there's actually a funeral going on. So he goes used to the restroom and he's already there. He feels like, you know what, uh, let me at least pay respects to whoever it is that's funerals going on up there. He goes into the funeral, few people, very small crowd, and he sits over there 5-10 minutes and then he pays his respect and he, uh, and he leaves. As he leaves, there's a guy standing by the door and be like, you know, you got to sign the book. He's like, what book? He's like, there's attendance roster, you know, like who was here, you got to sign it. And he's like, listen, I don't know the guy. I just came here for the bathroom. I was paying my I was like, I got to go have a meeting with a you know, wealthy donor. And he's like, I got to run. And the guy says, listen, I just work here. You got to sign that. You were here. You came out of the room. Sign the book. And the guy's like, I, I, I need to. He's like, just sign the book. You could have been out already. So he goes, fine. He does. he signs the books and he signs his name, his address, the phone number and everything, whatever. And he, and he leaves. He goes over to this wealthy donor. He leaves out. After all that, he leaves out with a thousand dollar check. And over the next few weeks, the time is getting out, he was able to scrape by another $20,000. There's about a week left to when the payment is due, otherwise they're going bankrupt. And all of a sudden, he gets a check in the mail for $50,000. He's like, well, you know, what's going on over here? He calls up and it turns out that the funeral that he went to at Benetzion Cemetery was a funeral of a very, very wealthy old man. And this old Man didn't have a lot of, I guess, friends, and he went and he said that whoever comes to his funeral, he is going to go and divide equally his estate among whoever joined the funeral. Right? Just, just by the way, maybe you should start going to more funerals, start signing up there, you know, your name over there. And you came to the funeral, so you got the, you know, $50,000. What is the lesson that we learn from here is that we do our, we do our shalut. This rabbi went and he did his effort. His effort was, he called his donor. He went and he traveled all the way to this donor's house. And he went to the office. And he went and he asked whatever he could. And what happened? He got a $1,000 from it. He got nothing that it was able to cover his cost. But then, he happened to do something on the way, which, by the way, was the way of the Torah, the way the things that you're supposed to do. He followed the Torah, he went to a funeral, he wanted to pay the respect, do go above and beyond, he went and he followed God. And what happened from that? The the effort that he did, ended up bringing his result of what he needed, but not through the path that he went through. Why? Because no matter what we do in our life, no matter how much effort we have in our life, the actual effort does not bring us the results. Because we work hard doesn't give us money. You know what gives us money? Because God told you that you're going to get money and that's why you have money. Now you're doing a tax, an effort that you need to do, that you shall do that you have to do. You have to go to work. But that's not why you have. You are going to get the money one way or the other. But now this is the way that you choose to go and do your tax. So this is how you're going to go and you're going to get your effort. But one thing we have to know is that our efforts ourselves, it's just that we don't have the ability. It's not because we work hard. It's not because we're so smart that we're so wealthy. It's not because that we have so much capability because God gives us to, gives that to, you, to to us. But also another important lesson, I'm going to finish off, that so important from this story that you think that you do for other people. You know, like, I'm going to go and lend this guy money. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay a shibba call. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay respects at this funeral. I'm going do, do this, a benefit to this person. You don't realize that really, no matter what good you're doing in this world, when you're doing for other people, you're really doing for yourself. The... Effort that we put in, regardless of how we put it in, is all coming from God. But the final say of what we're going to get something, it doesn't really depend on the amount of your effort. And in fact, the base the Beis HaLevi Salveitch, goes and says that the more bitachon that you put into something, the less effort you will need to put in, and the more successful you will be. The question, the million dollar question is, where does that line lie for me? Where am I supposed to be? How much emunah and how much effort do I need to have? So now we've learned that the emunah and it's proportional to your level. The question, the, the really important question is, is that what level we are on? And for that, we'll have to wait, as Hashem, for next class. But before we open up for questions... One very important factor that I want to repeat again, because I mentioned this a lot of times, and I want to make sure that it's very clear, that if you want something in your life, you are able to get it. It depends on two things in the spiritual realm. It depends on your level of spirituality, and then it depends on the level of your muna. Meaning that if you are in a very high level of spirituality. If you have a little bit of a munan you'll get it. But if you're in a low level of spirituality, you could get still whatever it is that you want if you increase your level of the munan Obviously, we're not talking about sins, we're not talking about you know things of that aspect in the kosher in the kosher realm. With that, we will open up to uh, questions. Okay. Um, okay, uh, first question. I am confused about why. Righteous people only need the lower level of not because generally they have a very high level. I'm so happy you asked this. Okay, is, is that that they only need a lower level to get what they want from Hashem, but it's best for them to get on a high level as possible? Yes, thank you so much for asking this. Happens to be, and I'll explain the question. Um, that I was thinking about the same thing when I was um, preparing this. and Maybe I should include it, and I, I don't know why I didn't, but I'm so happy they put it in. The question is that I said that... A, A righteous person has to have a lower level of emunah. A wicked person has to have a high level of emunah in order to get what they wanted. And the question is that really it's the opposite. Righteous people have a high level of emunah. And the answer is that in order to get something or whatever it is that you want, this is what you need. This is the basic stuff. Granted, of course, it's better if you have higher. And true, people that are righteous do have a higher level of emunah. But there's an important aspect. There's sort of like a little asterisk on this. That just because you're righteous, just because you're keeping Shabbat, you're keeping kosher, you're learning Torah, it doesn't mean that you have a high level of emunah b'tehanun. It doesn't go always because you have to learn these things. This this concept, this topic is so important that if you don't learn it, it just doesn't come. It's not naturally. You can know the Gemara, you can know all these things, but if you don't work on yourself emotionally, intellectually, on putting the high level of emunah and bitahan, it's not going to come into your into your level. And you're, you you could be a righteous person with a very low level of emunah. And, and bitachon. It's a different by knowing something and putting it into, into practice. So yes, for a righteous person and a wicked person, of course, the higher level of an abdachon, the greater it is that they have. Next question. It's hard to know, and by the way, if anybody has any questions, you could type it into the chat box. That's why I'm reading it off. Uh, where are we over here? Okay, it's hard to know if something is a sign from Hashem or it's something that you should have put more effort into preventing and you could have done differently to change the outcome. How do you know when something is a test or when should you accept it as divine providence? Okay. So before I continue with that question, so that's a great, great question. So where do you stop? The, the, it's a very simple calculation. The calculation is as follows. You do whatever it is in your power to do. If it still doesn't work out, then you know that it's beyond your, the, it was, it was already from God. When you're dealing with the level of how much ishtadlut you need to do, it lies in that kingdom. you do what you need to do. So for some people, the level of in is like I only have to do a little bit and that's all I needed to do. So if that's true or if that's false, it depends on next week's class and how we go and, and explain that and how you're able to go and understand what level you're truly on. You have to be true to yourself. But ultimately, it's, it all depends on your capabilities. If you did whatever it is that you need to do, whether it's in the spiritual or whether it's on the physical then and it, did, it still didn't work out then it's all out from God The continuation of the question ultimately it's all from God so isn't it a great thing to recognize that it's all coming from God Absolutely, everything is coming from God, but we do have to do our effort in it. Whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, we have to do our effort. And if we go and we sit down, and let's say we don't have a high level of effort, and we say, okay, God's going to send to me everywhere. No, not necessarily, depending on your level. If you have a low level, God's not just going to knock on your door and say, like, here's a pot of gold. Should a righteous person rather put more effort into praying to God for something, or to strengthen his inamuna? Oh, that's a great question. Um, It's one of the same. Both those, oh, this is a spoiler alert for next week's class. It's, uh, it's both one of the same. So we're going to actually deal with that on next week's class. Okay, and that looks like it was the final question that we have here. And with that, we will say Chazak U Bauch. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.